somewhere on the forum, it was like, uh, what are your top three race results? And I had only done one race at this mm -hmm. point. And I was like, well, I was second place at this, I mean, a race of five women or mm -hmm. seven women or something at this race. Which of these results are you most proud of and why? I'm like, well, I'm pr most proud of that one because it's the only one I've done. <laughs> and I was on the podium, so it was fantastic. Um, and then, I mean, there was, there was probably 20 questions. Yeah. But I, the other one I remember was, is there anything that would prevent you from being a pro cyclist? And I said, death and injury. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King, your host today and always. If I sound a little tired, this pod comes on the heels of rooted Vermont straight back from Iceland early last week. I've been averaging, I'm going to say, five hours of sleep the past week, setting up and delivering a knockout, a whole weekend of partying with rooted Vermont. The hangover is real, folks. The fun, however... The community, the gravel spirit, the smiles, the outpouring of support, the friends and family, the volunteers, the impeccable weather, the meals, oh man, oh man, the post-ride meals, the beers, the cider, the maple syrup, the class four roads, the landscape, the sweet, sweet gravel roads, the nonstop fun, that was all real too. Be sure to stay tuned to rootedvermont.com for dates and information about 2020. Laura and I are ecstatic with the reception of our first year event. We sold out in the inaugural year. We see plenty of room for growth. Definitely keep your eyes peeled for information there. Our guest today, Leah Thorvalson. Leah was in town for Rooted. She made her way out east from her home in Arkansas. So we found some time to chat post-event. And this girl... Leah's got pep, my friends. You're going to love this conversation. Professional cyclist, currently with the Easton Overland Professional Gravel Team, and on occasion with the terrific Amy D Foundation squad. Formerly spending the past two years with the Canyon SRAM Pro Team at the World Tour level. I've been meaning to find some time to chat with Leah because even if she didn't spend time at that World Tour level, her professional running story is worthy of a pod. Her energy is worthy of a pod, but then, a la Michael Woods, she turned a professional running career into a professional cycling career later than most. And you may recall, she did it by winning the first Zwift Academy competition, beating out 1,200 women competing for that pro contract. This conversation hit some really interesting points, covering what it's like to come back from injury, what it's like living in a foreign land, the finances of pro cycling, especially on the woman's side, body image issues, the expectation of racing at the world tour level, how she initially thought she would be a professional dancer, her aspirations of the U.S. Olympic trials, how she managed to segue into a career of gravel, and what the entire cycling community is all about to her. Folks, I'm going to keep this intro short because this conversation ends up being our longest to date. The feedback that I love hearing from you in the comments and directed to all things I am Ted King is that you want more, you want these longer conversations. So, without further ado, I present the latest and greatest King of the Ride conversation with Leah Thorvalson. So welcome to Vermont. 
Is this, uh, is this your first time to Vermont? This is my first time in Vermont. First time in New England? Um, no. I have been to Maine a few times. Ooh. Does that, Maine. that counts, right? Maine counts big time. <laughs> Maine is uh, Maine is stunning. It is, it is. It's the home of two of my favorite slogans for states. One, as soon as you drive into the state, it says, welcome to the vacation land. That and is a good two, one. I think their state expression is the way life should be. It is. It's so good. Yeah, my it bro, really is. My brother just started med school, uh, graduated med school, just started residency at Maine Med in Portland. Okay. And he was at the event yesterday and he was like, my gosh. I love living in Maine. I've only been there for three weeks, and it is the way life should be. Really? Yeah, he's stoked. That's amazing. Yeah, I've run a couple of marathons up there, and it's it's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's start a bit at the beginning. Can you tell me about your your upbringing? You're from Robbinsdale, Minnesota. I am. Um, what's the fam like? You've siblings. Um, I have one sister and actually the fam has all sort of dispersed from Minnesota for the most part. Both parents have, I think both my parents each have two siblings still in Minnesota, but the rest have scattered. Mm -hmm. Most of my dad's family is now in Scottsdale, Phoenix area. Oh, nice. And my mom, very toasty, but dry. And my mom and sister and um, niece and brother-in-law are in Austin, Texas. So also Also very warm and not so dry. Yeah. Probably. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know Austin, like from a humidity standpoint. Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty nasty, muggy. I just I'm, think it was brutal. I'm not hot. sure between there and Little Rock who has the worst heat humidity combo. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. And Little Rock is where you are now? Yes. Okay. At least 50% of the time. I feel like, you know, I spent the last, I lived in Girona, Spain last year uh-huh. for my last year with Canyon Sram and, um, I feel like it's hard for me to stay in any one place really long. Like if I'm in Little Rock a few months, I'm like, okay, it's time to take a trip. Yeah. 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 Oh, completely. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's warm and muggy and nasty. I haven't spent a summer there in a few years. And I'm actually, I've been out in Boulder for the past month and I'm going back to Boulder nice. from here. And I'm hoping that Arkansas summer will get summer out of its system <laughs> before I return. Yeah. Okay. Jumping back. How, how'd you get into running? Oh man. That was, I've been doing so long, I think really from my dad. Mm-hmm. I remember my earliest memory of running is my dad coming into my room one Saturday morning and telling me he was going to run a 5K. And he said, Do you want to come? And I think he, you've got a f- creature on your neck. Was, you just had it on your neck. It's kind of hilarious because oh, really? then it flew to me. I didn't even feel it. <laughs> he said, I think he expected me probably to say no, but I was yeah. like, Yeah, sure. And How old I, were you? Uh, I think I was 14, uh-huh. 14, 15, 16. I remember it being 14, but he sent me a thing, like a clipping from the newspaper of results, and it says I was 16. So I don't know if I have the age wrong or if this was a different race. Like already fudging results. Yeah, I know. I know. Terrible. Um, and so you took to it. You enjoyed it. Did you Did you crush I, souls? Um, you I, don't think I, I don't think I really crushed souls that early. I, I crushed my dad's soul, maybe. Nice. I did beat my dad that day. And then I was like, cool, I'm faster than dad. But um, <laughs> but I ran in high school and I always thought, I always actually thought that my post high school sport would be dance team. That's what I did in the winter. Which no people who look at how uncoordinated I am now, they're just like, you were a dancer? It's like, yes, and not, not uh, don't I'm edit this. I was about <laughs> to make a stripper joke, but let's not. <laughs> but um, then I... I ended up, 
I was talking to a couple. I, so I wasn't crushing souls. I went to state once on a relay and I, I won some regional titles, but I wasn't really heavily recruited. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was your distance? I did the triple jump and the 300 meter hurdles were probably my best events. Dang. We figured out later I probably should have always been doing distance, but I'm not built like a distance runner. I think I looked up to my older sister a lot, and so it's like she would try these events. I was like, that looks like fun. And then the relays were fun because you got to run with your friends. Um, And I started running, just running more outside of track practice just because I was, you know, like many women, I met maybe sexist, but it's also true, have body image issues. And it's just like, I wanted to lose weight. So I started asking, let me run the two mile. And there's mm-hmm. like, no, that's right after the 300 meter hurdles and you're a better hurdler. Yeah. So, um, yeah, after I, I talked to a couple of these two schools, but nothing really came together that I was comfortable with. So I ended up staying at home, going to massage therapy school. I'm trying to run through this very quickly because I no, can go I dig it. out into the weeds, but, um, I was going, I graduated massage therapy school, realized I didn't want to work in a salon and should probably get more education. So I started going to a community college and then I was coaching the junior varsity dance team at my high school. No way. And I know. And then I ran into the track coach and here I'm 19 years old. So, you know, I'm fully mature and grown up. Yeah. I'm such an adult. Oh, and I heard they had lost their women's distance coach. So since I was, you know, running three to five miles a couple times a week, I was just like, I heard that you don't have a coach. And if you need me to supervise mm-hmm. and surprisingly didn't make fun of me, assuming I was an adult, but did say, you know, you should still be competing. And I was just like, well, Minneapolis Community College doesn't have a track team. So he connected me with this coach down in Arkansas said, this guy's trying to build a team. And I kind of sarcastically said to him, I said, yeah, send him my resume. I'm sure he'll be really impressed. But he was either actually impressed or desperate, probably both. (laughs) So he and I was sort of, I didn't have, I was lacking a little bit of direction. Not that I was doing anything wrong. I just didn't really know what to do with myself. So... I end after much back and forth, I ended up accepting the scholarship down at UALR because I was just like, if I hate it, I can leave after a semester. But if I don't yeah. go, I will never know. And now 20 years later, I still live there. <laughs> so it worked Something out clicked. okay. So he transformed me into a mid-distance and cross-country runner. And I still, I don't know if you will ever get me to say that I crushed souls, but I did better in college over the years. I, I started dating a guy. Well, my coach is really the reason. My coach believed in me or faked that he believed in me so mm-hmm. hard before that eventually I believed it too. You know, and I was in his office every day. What do I need to do to get here? I want to go to nationals. I want to go to regionals. And, you know, he never told me I couldn't do it. And he just always saw ability there. Um, That's so cool. And and then I also, a guy I dated in college was a pole vaulter and lived at um, Earl Bell's pole vault training center. So I spent a lot of time there and was surrounded by these Olympians. And I think seeing like, oh... If I don't screw off and go out to the clubs on Friday and Saturday nights with my friends, you know, and drink a gallon of cheap wine and focus more on my running, I could be like these guys. Nice. And I and I got more serious about it um, and really fell in love with the training. Like the, the I loved long distance. It was like when I graduated, it was like, okay, um, so marathon. Yeah. You know, because. So that was, was the immediate segue in your mind. It was like done with college and now I'm going to get into marathon? Were you running marathons um, in college? I wasn't running marathons in college, but a lot of the collegiate 
you know, a lot of my teammates really, like, they loved the time off in the summer. Getting to do big mileage weeks was kind of a grind and a grunt. And to me, it was just like 75, 80 mile weeks. Yeah. I loved it. That's like, I jam. ended up, I didn't want to take time off. Mm-hmm. And probably, probably overdid it for my age. Just, I mean, not from a point of that my body couldn't handle it, but I think. I never, aside from those few months before I got serious where we were going out, you know, every night, but I never had like a big party phase and I just was hardcore run all the time. So eventually I did take a, I ran two, three marathons, the last one being Boston in 2005. Mm -hmm. And after Boston, I kind of was just like, okay, I need to take a month off. And that month turned into two and a half years. So <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. That what, I partied a lot. Was it a click? Like you just opened up the floodgates of recovery month turned? Um, well, if you, it's really them? funny because back then, I don't know. I don't, uh, training peaks and whatnot was not a thing. And, yeah. and I used to keep manual journals, sure. written journals. Oh, and the they, they, yeah. And I've looked, I haven't looked in a long time, but I, did look back at them one time and it goes from, you know, it was, it was hot, but not too hot. And I ran on this rolling terrain and I felt great. And this was a tempo run and my mile splits were blah, 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 blah. And, you know, paragraphs and then perceived effort and a number and virtual intensity and a number. And the month leading into Boston, the training log kind of starts to go like five miles and that's all it says. Three miles, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, I think I ran that day. Yeah. So far back. Yeah. yeah, it was very, like, when I showed up at Boston, I really had no business running a marathon. But I think what had happened was I had ended up, originally I was going to try to run Boston really hard. And then the people at Little Rock were just like, if you go to Boston, even if you run your best, you're not going to be in the top 50 women. Mm-hmm. You could run Little Rock, and if you place in the top three, you make money. And blah, blah. so I was just like, oh, okay. So I ran Little Rock in March, mm-hmm. and then that was like a month, month and a half before Boston. Yeah, yep. So it ended up being like, and I trained hard up until Little Rock, and I had told myself I'd continue to train hard through Boston, but I... I, and so it ended up being this amazing taper and I ran like a two and a half minute personal best at Boston when I had no business running a marathon at all. I just, I just, I'd been screwing off for the whole month before and then said, I'm just, I'm not running for a month. And that's, I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't run at all for two and a half years, but I mean, I didn't run, I didn't run much Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, I had one friend who I, I credit with keeping me, I have two friends actually, but one was a runner and you know, we could go, we might run two times during the week and it's like, yeah, let's run this weekend. And then it's like, she wouldn't hear from me till Tuesday. And I'd be like, hey, you want to run tomorrow? And it's kind of this cycle. And I'd tell her all about the whole weekend and she never judged, uh-huh. but was very happy when I kind of finally was like, I'm ready to get back into actually running. I'm kind of done with, I've been having too much fun, uh-huh. but I'm, I'm done with that. Yep. And she was, you know, we're still very, very close friends. That was the two and a half year hiatus. Yeah. And what were you, what were you doing? Like, well, uh, related, were you, what did you study in school? I said, oh man, I, um, I, my degree is in Spanish, I'm which in. ended up, yeah, I'm weaving in. It ended up paying off in, when I lived in Girona, uh-huh. you know, I was Except able that, to. It's freaking Catalan. It's so hard. But I could still understand, you know, it's like I spent time the first year on Canyon Sram. I had a cousin in Italy in the Air Force and I stayed with them some and it's like if I went out on rides, I could never talk to other riders I saw because I didn't 
speak any Italian. Uh-huh. I didn't ever want to stop for coffee because I felt rude not even be able to properly order a coffee. Yeah. So it's like in Spain... Even though, I mean, they all speak Spanish. Even if they prefer Catalan, mm-hmm. they speak Spanish. So I never was worried about not being able to communicate. And if I wanted to talk to some, some of my best Spanish practice came from riding up on people in a group ride. And then, you know, I'm going to assume that they speak Spanish. And it's like when they know that you speak Spanish. Right, right, right. And I don't know if it's because, like, if I'm sitting in a grocery or something trying to have a conversation, I th- feel like I screw up a lot. But I think when I'm cycling, it's like your brain, the part of your brain that would make you screw up is kind of preoccupied with cycling. And then I could, I don't know, I could speak Spanish pretty well on the bike. I can see that. (laughs) So I lived in Girona for two years and then I raced for Liquid Gas, which is a very Italian team. And I didn't Mm -hmm. speak a lick of Italian. Yeah. And I would, I would, I studied, you know, all off season and, and tried to hone up on my Italian. And I would go into conversations with my team and I would be nervous about saying something so I wouldn't say it and yeah. go back to the room and look up like, what was I supposed to say? And it was identical to what I wanted to say given the Spanish connection. Yeah. So if you just go with it in Spanish while you're, while you're in Italy, the people yeah. are yeah. more simpatico. Um, okay. Tangent diverted. What did <laughs> you do for those two and a half years? Like, have you, I guess the question is, have you always been a professional athlete from, okay. from college? Okay. Um, I would say I would by you know it depends on the definition of professional. We use the liberal one. Okay, so I was I chased being a pro. I, I don't think I ever thought, oh, if I just run a little faster, I'll get a contract with Nike. But I wanted to see how fast I could run a marathon. So, okay, <laughs> we're tangent. I'm trying to figure out how to make this all flow without going just way off into the weeds, but. I mostly was working in retail. Um, Somewhere at the end of those two years, I knew I was ready to get my life kind of, I mean, I I wasn't a deadbeat. Like I always, I worked in a retail apparel boutique Mm -hmm. and I wanted a real job. And so I started working for Sprint Wireless, business to business sales. And man, did I hate that job. Mm-hmm. I love the people I worked with, but I will tell you, wireless is a tough business. You can walk into a company and say, I can save you three grand a month. And they're like, we do not care <laughs> if they're, if they're happy with their service. So sure. I won't go on that tangent, but, um, I was there for a couple years and then I had started being responsible with running again. And, um, 2007, did you ever run? Or follow running at all? No, uh, it's very difficult. Yeah. It's hard to walk or not run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Well, the, in 2007, there was um, a guy who was a favorite to make the Olympic team in the marathon, okay. and he collapsed at mile five of the Olympic trials and passed away. Oh, my. And I knew his name because, and I and I, I talked to someone else about this recently, and I'm like, it's just, I, I, it drives me crazy that I can't think of his last name. His name was Ryan. Mm-hmm. I think. And, but I remembered him because I don't, I'm not really built like a distance runner. I mean, even less so now that I ride bikes, but even when I was at my smallest, I never looked anything resembling a Kenyan. <laughs> you know, it's, I looked more like a swimmer. Sure. And that's this, a tough body type. Yeah. yeah. And this guy had kind of the same body type. So I remember thinking he's real. And he was, he was very, he was, he ran for Notre Dame. He was a very well-known athlete. Mm-hmm. And I'd been away from the running scene for a while, but I remember it coming up on MySpace because MySpace is the thing then. (laughs) 
that this guy, you know, what a loss for the running community, this and that. And I, and something, for some reason, I sort of obsessed with it. Like it really hit me that I have potentially have a gift for running and I've just been squandering it, you know, Hmm. just kind of not doing, doing all the wrong things if you want to be a professional athlete. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. So this was the fall of 2007. 2008 was the first time since Boston I ran a marathon with very much less structured training. And I think I took six minutes off of my previous best time. And I was just like, oh, okay. So then I started looking up what would it take to go to the Olympic trials? Because I had no idea. And so that that eight minutes or seven minutes off, I ran a 252. And I started looking it up, and it was like 246 was the B standard. And I thought, I can do that in four years. When yeah. it ended up, I ran that time that fall, which was too early to qualify, but I was just like, I'm going to the I Olympic trials. Yeah. So when I started running well, this, this tangent does direct back <laughs> to the question, um, I was just like, I don't want to work a job that I can't focus on my running. I want to go back to doing something where I can prioritize because I'm going to the Olympic trials. Nice. So yep. then I went back into retail. I worked in a running shoe store uh-huh. and I was there. I was, well, two different stores, but I was in, I was pursuing running and working in running shoe stores from, let's see, that would have been 2008 till 2013. Okay. And How hard is that to be on your feet all day in retail and then try to fit in training? Well, I always ran in the morning. I mean, I guess there was days I was doing both. And I've never enjoyed training in the evening. Like I very much, I like to start my day. Like if I'm doing doubles, when I know all I have to go and do is just an easy run in the evening, it's it's fine. But your body never feels good, you know, and your legs always feel like just kind of heavy and yucky. So totally agree. But I always did. Yeah, I always did the hardest stuff before work. So it was fine. And you, you know, you could sit down some. I wasn't. Aside from Saturdays, I was rarely on my feet all day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I see 2012 as a particularly smashing year. You won a handful of marathons. You had uh, you qualified to run the uh, U.S. Olympic trials. I think that was also the year you had the fourth fastest time in any 50 mile. For a North American woman. Okay. That seems ridiculous. It it was ridiculous. And and I guess the related question is how how are you then segueing marathons to ultras? So yeah. readily. Or maybe um, it's a four year. Well, I always found, you know, I I hit my peak the fastest marathon I ever ran was two thirty seven, which is somebody who's a Good God. It sounds very fast. And it it is fast. I'm not belittling that achievement. However, um you go on to the world scene or the Olympic level and they're five to 10. I mean, to make the Olympic, like when I ran, I ran in the Olympic trials in 2012, the three who made the team ran two twenty six, which might not sound that far off, but let me tell you, like they're basically running the pace. I run for a 5k mm-hmm. for a marathon. So it Bonkers. was as far as, you know, I kind of, I had, I had big goals and dreams of, I just want to represent the U S at a world championship. I don't, I don't care what yeah. distance and I don't think I can go much faster but I can keep going at this pace for a long time so I had dabbled in those kind of things I mean I had I, I thought my trajectory is that one day you know I would go back and run another 50 miler and get an American record and I would maybe do a hundred miler and and yeah. it's funny because I have a friend who 
Um, we started racing competitive marathons at the same time, and our personal best to this day, I think hers is 10 seconds faster than me, <laughs> but she's gone on to set the world record in a 24-hour, world record in the 100-mile, world record in the, like, and I just thought, I told her, I said, you, you are living out every goal that I had that I'll never be able to do now because I don't, my knees went to crap and, um, I, I, I may do a marathon again, but I think I'm, I'm pushing the limits of, of what I should still be with my body, even toying around with the idea of a marathon. So the ultras are not any longer in my future, (laughs) but, but yeah, but I just, it was, you know, I, I loved I loved the training. Like it was, it was, I loved the challenge of saying, okay, what could I do to get ready for 50 miles? Instead of doing just a long run on the weekend, every weekend, you know, it's like back to back 20 milers, a hard one on Saturday and then Uh just get through it on Sunday. Uh Ouch. Yeah. Were you, what was your training like? What was your coaching like? Um, self, self coached? Well, I self coached in the beginning and then. Um, I started working with a coach. His name is Derek, Gary Gary Taylor. He still he ran for Arkansas. He's from England, and he still holds what would be a world record with um, for the team of a four by mile. But because the four guys in it weren't from the same country, it can't technically be a world record. Ha! Huh. Who were they he, running for? Arkansas at the time. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. It. Yeah. Man. And he's um, sub four minute miler. He's got two sons who have gone on to be, he has four children, but two of his sons, one just ran, I think was maybe fifth at nationals in the 800. So hmm. definitely he and his wife are both runners at Arkansas. And nice. defi- he's, he's definitely got a lot of experience and he, I've recently asked him cause I've started running a little bit again since the end of my contract last year. Um, I wasn't going to mess with it during when I got the opportunity with Candace Ram. I'm like, I'm not going to mess this up by running. But um, I've asked him to start writing some training for me again. They nice. own one of the running stores in Little Rock where I worked in the end of that career before I went to work for the university, which is what I was doing when I started the cycling deal. Got it. So with that 23-minute intro, let's talk about <laughs> that cycling deal. I'm a cyclist. I follow the cycling world. There's still a bunch of things that you just don't know, but you, you, you know how they end up, but you don't know how they happen. I'm curious the process to beat out 1,200 women to, to, to earn that top spot in Swift sure. Academy and ultimately a spot on Canyon SRAM. Yeah, it was really crazy. And I, and I will say confidently... Um, I mean, although there's no real way to prove this because I wouldn't be allowed to win again, but I could not win it as it is now. Um, I was, I, I'm, I'm a strong rider, but I also happened into that competition in the right moment. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, so I was, were you the, a cyclist? I was not. Did you own a bike? Um, yes. So okay. I promise not to do a 23-minute tangent. Hey, to tie you got all the time in the world. <laughs> you leave tomorrow. So. Yeah. Um, in 2012, after the trials, because I loved, just like I'm here in Vermont with friends, this trip was planned. You know, I ended up feeling like I should at least try to race yesterday. But initially, this was planned just as a, hey, you guys want to go do a gravel thing. I loved doing that with marathons. And mm-hmm. I had all kinds of friends who like to travel to them. And so it's like, oh, we're going to this race and it won't cost you anything because we're going to drive and you can stay here and we have room for you in the hotel room. And hey, and if you win, it's $1,000. And it's just like, oh, okay, I'm in. 
So I would do, you know, most highly competitive marathoners probably target at most two a year. Mm -hmm. And I would do about eight. (laughs) And so in 2011, my coach is just like, you need to chill. You need to focus on the trials. After the trials, you can do whatever you want to for the rest of 2012. And I was like, really, whatever I want to. Yes, whatever you want to. So I played by those rules and I fully took advantage the trials were in January, and then I also got angry because the race didn't... It, I just wanted it to be my best race. Mm-hmm. I had no expectation of making the team, but I wanted to run like a personal best there, and I didn't even come close. So I got really, really strict with my sleeping, with my eating, with my everything, and started racing. Between January and May, I ran eight marathons oh. and a 50-miler, and then I went to Boulder and tried to run the Boulder Roller 10K, and that was kind of the beginning of the end of... I ended up falling into a series of injuries that resulted in four surgeries in the next three years. Holy moly. And that is where, <laughs> now to bring it back very quickly, that's how I, the, the final surgery was a bone graft to my femur, like a cadaver implant of about two inches worth of bone. Oh my God. Because the end of my femur was just basically totally eroded. And so they said, you can't do any high impact activity. Like, we won't ever tell you you should run again uh-huh. and definitely no high impact for a year. So I was like, the hell am I going to do? Because I think most endurance athletes, I think most of them admittedly, but even if they don't admit it, they're all endorphin addicts. 100%. And most of us are a little bit psycho in one way or another. Like we're, we're, we're all running out a little bit of crazy. And Absolutely. so I was just like, how, For I mean, it, honestly, I can make light of it now, but it's like in the moment I was told that, I had a brief time of serious like identity crisis. It's like, if I'm not a runner, Mm -hmm. what, what am I? Mm -hmm. Who am I? And I just, I was very blessed with grace about it that I can only say it was, it was just, it was a gift, you know, because I, I went from just like, I'm going to lose it. And then it was just like, well, that's, that's not an option. So what am I going to do? So as I was, recovering from one surgery out in Vail, I signed up for a hundred mile bike ride when I did not own a bike. (laughs) (laughs) This was May of 2015. And then I had that final surgery in November. So I rode, I bought a bike and I rode a bike from July to November. And then I had that second surgery and then I was crutch bound for two months and then indoor cycling only for another two months at which time, perfect. at which time I was told, cause I was just like, I can't even like, I can't, this is like being on a treadmill, but probably worse. And someone said, well, you need to try Zwift. Yep. It's like, what is Zwift? And they explained it to me. I said, well, that sounds like it might make it more tolerable. What so, year are we in? 2015. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So December of 2015 is when I purchased, or actually Andy purchased me a kicker snap mm-hmm. for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I got on Zwift. And I remember, I don't remember where I was going, but I was in the back of a car riding somewhere. And I got a text from my friend Missy, and she's just like, Tom and not Tom's her husband. Tom and I saw this article about that Zwift thing that you've been using. Mm-hmm. They're having a competition to find a pro, and you should do it because you would totally win. Which I took with a grain of salt because Little Rock's not not. I mean, it's not a small. It's it's bigger than Richmond, Vermont, but it's not a. <laughs> but it's a it's a small town, you know. Sure. For I had the kind of success running there that. They, I think, 
people saw me as more superhuman than I ever was in running. Like, you know, for me to say like, oh, I'm going to the Olympic trials, they all thought I was going to the games. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. for somebody to say you would win this, it was just like, oh, yeah, it's cute. Sure. But, and I was just like, well, that sounds like fun. And I read up on it and remember thinking like, I wonder what the person, because I figured the person who's actually going for this contract is like a more talented version of me as a runner version of a cyclist, mm -hmm. you know, like somebody who's, how long have they been cycling? Yeah. How good are they on a bike? Like how, how it was, it didn't even cross my mind. Like it could be me. Yeah. I just thought I'll participate in this. That's fine. And I registered the day they opened registration. And at the time I was, I was working at the university doing fundraising and I would get up at four in the morning and just ride on Zwift for two hours every morning. And that was it. I didn't, I hadn't raced. I didn't know if I ever wanted to race. I didn't do any specific workouts. How much so, are you riding outside at all? On the weekends usually. Yep. Yeah. Just because of a time frame. Sure. Well, I started riding. I actually, initially I would, once I was allowed to ride outside, uh -huh. I would ride outside in the morning, but I got T-boned by a deer at 4.15 in the morning. And I kind of was like, hmm, maybe Zwift. Maybe I'll just stick <laughs> to Zwift. There's deer accidents on Zwift. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. M much fewer. Much fewer. I have broken a bike on Zwift before. Story for another time, but <laughs> um, so I started the program and I thought this is really cool because it kind of had me doing things I wasn't, you know, I was doing training sessions now, and people got to talking about racing. And I had a few friends in Little Rock who raced, and I was like, oh yeah, you should enter. And I was just, I was very timid about it, but I was just like, okay, you know, I'll give it a shot. So about halfway, the, the Zwift Academy program at that point in time, the qualifying round was three months long, 27 workouts, nine group rides. It's now two months long and it's eight workouts. They've wow. really, they've dialed, they've got it dialed. Yeah. But um, about halfway through it, I got this email that said, you know, um, you've shown that you have some strength and we just, this doesn't mean anything about you advancing, but we'd like to know more about you. And that, that was the point where I was like, oh, I might be able to make the semifinals. And the uh -huh. big deal about that was if you made the semifinals, you got a kicker trainer and you got a power meter and you got a kit. And I was just like, hell yeah. yeah. Like there's no way I'm going farther than that, but I want these prizes. Sure. And somewhere on the forum, it was like, uh, what, how, what are your top three race results? And I had only done one race at this uh -huh. point. And I was like, well, I was second place at this, I mean, a race of five women or mm -hmm. seven women or something at this race. Which of these results are you most proud of and why? I'm like, well, I'm probably most proud of that one because it's the only one I've done. <laughs> and I was on the podium, so it was fantastic. Um, and then, I mean, there was, there was probably 20 questions. Yeah. But I, the other one I remember was, is there anything that would prevent you from being a pro cyclist? And I said, death and injury. Ooh. Those are good. It's like I, I was just like, if I, I, and I, granted, I mean, some people had posted in our Facebook group, like, do people doing this even really realize what it means to be a pro? Do you know what that life is like? And I yeah. was like, ooh, I sure don't. Yeah, yeah. But I know that the end game there is that I'm sure it's very challenging, but I'm getting paid to ride my bike. Are mm -hmm. you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Because... I, I had I had a great job. I loved some of the people that I worked with, but I it would absolutely ruin my day to have to put on business casual apparel. I know that sounds so first world problems, but I mean like to the point of it actually depressed me. That's and, awesome. And I I just remember yeah like it's a sign of principles. I mean there are plenty of of 
very well principled people who, who who put on business casual and and go to work. But right, I think you and I are in a position of having not had to do that largely. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know what I would do if I had to show up at a it, traditional office nine to five five days a week, fifty weeks a year. It was very it was very emotionally taxing for me. On top of the fact that. Yeah. Okay. I, I was I was about to tangent. I'm not going to do it. But I was just while I had a great job and made a comfortable living, I was just like, if I could give this all up, I didn't realize at the time how poor the pay was for women because they didn't divulge that until you made the finals, uh-huh. then, which is actually funny. Um. So anyway, so I made I made the semifinals. And then, then it became kind of, you know, just how when I'd been thinking, oh, if I made, it was just like, can you imagine if I made the finals, I get to go, I get a trip to Mallorca Uh and I get to meet these pro women and not really thinking like, and look like an asshole in front of them because I really don't have great (laughs) handling skills. Like I've been on a bike less than a year, Uh Um, but I wanted it so bad at that point. So Um, all the finalists went to Mallorca? Three. Okay. There was three finalists. So there was 12, our, my year, there was 12 semifinalists and they selected three. Uh-huh. And it became, you know, as I was, you started stalking those other 11 women oh, sure. hard. And it was like, I had picked out two that I was just like, there's no way these two girls aren't going to be selected. Uh-huh. And then there was a couple others that I was just like, I just don't see enough. I figured they had to somewhat be wanting someone who is a bit interactive. And there were some of them who were not in the social groups at all. I just couldn't find anything about. So I was just kind of like, I'm pretty sure these two or three aren't going to make it. But then there was a handful of the rest of us that I was, it was a full gray area. And I wanted so hard to believe I could be one, but I think it was like, I just was trying to convince myself I had a chance. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time was like, I don't want to be let down. So the day I got called about that, there was a cyclocross event. I'd gone and watched one and it looked like fun. Nice. But this one that looked like fun was more like a, it was more like a grass track. Uh The one I actually signed up for had a lot more technical aspects to it. And I was, and it was the, it, the race was the same day that they had told us they were going to announce the finalists. And I was warming up for the race and I was just near in tears because I was just like, what if I make it and then I'm injured from this? And I was just like, you are such a weenie. Like you're making up this, you're not going to get selected, but you're making this up to give yourself an out. Right, right, right. But I had my phone tucked into my sports bra. My phone started, I missed a call, but then I felt it like vibrate when I got a voicemail and I saw the number was Kate Verano, who I know is from Zwift. And I was just like, she wouldn't be calling to tell me I didn't get it. Right. Yeah. But I stopped right there. Mid race? No, no, no. Race hadn't started. I was still warming up. Okay. And and I called the number back, and and she's like, "This is." She's like, "Well, I was calling to tell you that we are, you know, I don't remember her wording, but that you've you've made a spot in the finals." And I dropped my bike, and I started screaming. And right that minute, Andy comes around the corner because he was he was racing the cyclocross race too. and he drops his bike. He thought I was hurt. Sure. He thought he was like he was like I was about to call. I thought you were on the phone with the, the ambulance. Oh my god. And I was just like I'm going to Mallorca and then we both start screaming poor Kate's in this cell yeah. phone on my ear. I'm like I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And uh-huh. she's just like I have been waiting to make this call because she said of all the semifinals, I knew you were going to be the most excited. Nice. Yeah. And That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool. That's a testament to the the Zwift community, yeah, um, which is something I noticed. I used Zwift in 2015, my final year racing yeah. world tour. 
Um, and at that point, yeah, it was so, it was so new. I felt, I felt a bit of a stigma using it among my world tour peers yeah, yeah. because you're like, you know, they're out doing real training. I'm doing a virtual training ride. I, I was sort of quiet about it, but then it's fascinating one, just how, how, how much it has boomed and how many yeah. world tour pros are coming back from injury or whatever it is. And yeah. they, they want to get on it. Um, but what really struck me from the very beginning is the, the strength of the community. Yes. Um, absolutely. It is impassioned. It is enthusiastic. It is. It is, it it is, is. fascinating. And you know, my year there was 1200 women enrolled and 110 graduated and you had to graduate to be considered. So uh -huh. it was like, you beat out 1200. We're like, well, yeah, I beat out 110. Not to be not to belittle my achievement, sure. but I mean, for example, registrations are still running. Zwift Academy, coincidentally, starts today for this year, or the day we're recording anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and as of this morning, there was 4,800 and counting. Good God. Like the number of literally, I think I'm getting about 10 requests a minute to join the Strava group for, as of this morning. So last year, the final stats, it was right around 5,000 women that that entered and I think more women graduated last year than entered the first year and the the level I think I, this is not this is not a rule in place by Zwift but just from watching kind of having an inside look at some of the process I don't think someone with my little amount of experience is very likely I don't discourage anyone from trying sure. but I think it would be very hard to make the finals or even the semifinals with less than a year on the bike. Mm -hmm. That's where I say I happened into it in its infancy. Yeah. And I do, I, I do believe things happen for a reason. And I think, you know, that was a good, that was a trajectory that changed my life. I think I was a good person to win it the first time because it meant something different to me than it will. It, uh, obviously it means the world to anybody who wins, mm -hmm. but it was a different it wasn't like this is where my life is going regardless of this competition. Yeah. It just happened. And then I got to see it and now I'm in love with it and now I'm passionate about it. And I can spread that over not only to the next winner, but also to the community. Because you look at if there's 5,000 registrants, how many actually are even trying for the contract? Sure. It's probably 10, 15, 20%. Mm -hmm. And then of that 10, 20, 15%, how many actually have a shot? Is even less. So, if you, I think, if you're not in it partially for that community, you're missing part of the boat. Even if you win the contract, you need to stay tied into that community because it's just what it gives back to you. Yeah. And I don't mean that from a gifts perspective. I just mean emotionally, the support and the love that you would get from that community. Like it's 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 intense. Yeah. So, the winner every year gets a contract. Yes. And. I'm going to jump around a bit. I mean, you mm -hmm. earned the contract for 2017 and then you ended up having a contract extension. I was, yeah, they resigned me. I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's, I mean, both Tanya and I were offered a second year. Um, Ella is just finishing her first year based on her results. I would be more than shocked if they don't offer her another year. Wow. Now what I don't, what will be interesting for me to see is, um, they gave me a second year. I was not offered a third year. Um, but my second year was very different from Tanya's. Hmm. Um, I was only raced 18 days in my second oh. year. And then it was kind of like, and I've, I've talked about this before. And I don't, I don't want to say this. 
I'm so grateful for the time I had with Canyon Sram. I was given opportunities that someone of my level never, ever, ever will get. That said, to be told that I didn't improve enough in my second year, but I was only given 18 race days and sure. what I was missing was race experience. No kidding. I, f I feel like it was decided before my second year started that I would not have a third. Yeah. Tanya just won a national championship on a German team pursuit team. <laughs> um, Tanya has won a sprinter's jersey in a world tour race. So it's hard for me to imagine that they won't want to keep her. Mm -hmm. Ella has also won a best young rider jersey on Canyon's Ram. Um, it's hard for me to believe they don't want to keep her. Sure. So will they hang on to three or will they tell Tanya, you right. know, or, or Ella, you know, you've got, you've got the experience now, go find another team because mm -hmm. either of them probably could. So I'll be curious to see how that happens. But, um, but I would, I would be very surprised if they don't give Ella a second year and with Tanya's success. Uh, yeah. I think they'll end up with, with three. It's, it's so That's hard so to say. Cool. And What's they also a, have the new dynamic coming of, you know, they're, I believe Canaan Sram will be one of the teams that has to implement the new, uh, you know, there's like the, the, with the, the payment. Yeah, exactly. So they can't, you, you can't get someone on the cheap now just sure. because they're just a Swift Academy winner. It has to be somebody that you're willing to pay uh -huh. a, what I would consider a darn decent salary. I, mean, I think it was 30 something thousand yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for a first year pro. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge step up. It is, it is a sign of legitimacy in, yeah. a, in an inexpensive uh, unlucrative profession. Yeah. So I want to get into that in a second. What? But real quick, what is the what is the final vetting process when they had the three finalists? How do they how do they choose the winner? Sure. So the three finalists go to the camp with the team, yep. and there are a few. And again, this has changed a bit. The year that I was there, we had one sort of test of you know like a twenty minute, approximately twenty minute climb, mm -hmm. and just go and climb it. And who it's kind of you know you're kind of racing. Yeah. And then they had us play a few other games. One was like a lead-out train into a sprint. It's much more... I think the testing part of it is much more structured now. They, they have a race on Zwift. They have an outdoor challenge. So it's those the results of those things, but it definitely is also considered the personality of that person. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like who's got the most Instagram followers. I mean like who meshes with the team and who gets it. Like who's going to go there and understand that They'll be given their chance, but they also will be very much expected to be working in favor of. They're not coming onto that team to be the star rider. Yeah. Um, you know, they're going there to support their teammates, and if they're in a position to be given a shot, they'll be supported in return. But they want somebody who has the right personality, somebody who gets along with the team. I mean, I think that's the biggest part of bringing you to the camp. They already have a decent idea of what your power is at that point. So they mm -hmm. want to see how you are on the bike mm -hmm. and then how you integrate with the team and with the staff. Sure. Yeah. So then given this unconventional path to professional cycling, mm -hmm. it's it's one thing to be ingratiated to your teammates or soon to be teammates. Sure. How are you accepted into the whole Peloton? Or is it somewhat anonymous because um, once you're in a race, you're wearing a jersey and... Yeah, I mean, during the race, you know, I would see some articles about, about it where there might be comments about people saying like, yeah, I definitely told teammates to stay away from that wheel, which yeah. it's hurtful, but it's not. I mean, it's like, that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, but at the same time, I understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, hi. Yeah. yeah. I, I even at the time, I don't know that I rec even recognize a sketchy rider. I was just trying to survive on the bike, but now I can get in a race and there's wheels that you're just like, don't want to be behind that person. So sure. I imagine I was that person. I'm sure in some races I'm still that person. So 
Um, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear a lot of things to my face. I mean, people yell in races. Sure. Sometimes it's not in English. I don't know if they were yelling at me. I don't know if they were just yelling. You know, I think I felt it more. I felt it more from my teammates because I lived in, you know, I lived in that environment yeah. and it was never, everyone was kind, but you just, you just know, you know, when you're in a pre-race meeting and, and they're talking about the roles for the team and you aren't really trusted with one. It's another thing where it's like, I understand it. Like they can't say, okay, Leah, you're going to control the Peloton for the first half. And then when someone's, if, if a break gets away, you need to chase it. They're not going to give me those roles when they don't know that I can fulfill it. Mm -hmm. But it's a hard position to be in. So I think that's where I felt, you know, once the race is on, the race is going and you're just focused on that. But when you're in that team environment and you can, you know, like I start to feel like when they send out, here's the roster for this race. In my head, it's like the other teammates are probably getting it and groaning, thinking like, okay, so we're starting this race with five. Huh. And no one ever said it. Yeah. So I'm putting that in my own head. Sure. But it, 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 that was the part that was hardest, was feeling like... I think it would have been very different if I were on a smaller team. Not better, just different. Yeah. Like I had the, you know, I'm on one of the world's best teams mm -hmm. and really based on my level of ability, I did not belong there. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's just such a wild, <laughs> everything about it is wild. Yeah. Um, I understand completely having gone that way, uh -huh. why there is a categorized system that you're supposed to work yourself up through <laughs> yeah. because even though I would, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. And if they were to call me tomorrow and say, we want you back yeah. as hard as it is, I would, I would do it yeah. in a heartbeat, yeah. but I also wouldn't wish it on anybody to go from cat four into UCI it's world tour. Like it's so brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you said cat four. Did, did you ever have a, a I, USAC license? Or did you well, immediately I, I, get a not UCI? Not like a UCI. I just had a regular, like a cat for like a like a US road. So you did get it through USA Cycling. Initially. I did, not and it actually quite. was like okay. it was a bit of a contentious. I mean, I never heard. I think when I made the team, everything was handled on the back end by people with much more power than me. It was like she won this competition. We need mm -hmm. this to happen. This I don't know, but I can just imagine. Mm -hmm. But I saw it because when my contract was not renewed and I renewed my racing license, yeah. it came to me as a cat four. Yeah. And I kind of said, um, I mean, on one hand, if I were to say, where do I belong? And I probably really belong as a cat two right now. Huh? If I were to say like, where would I, where could I race really, really well? Yep. But I said on top of my experience, um, anybody who knows me, if I show up and line up with cat fours, yeah, are going to be pissed. Yeah, yeah, and I understand yeah, yeah. it. Like, I'd say that's BS. Like, she was on the world tour last year. It doesn't matter where you placed. Sure. Now you're a cat four. So, they, but I, but they said, I was told, you know, that, that when they pushed me up to pro, they said, well, what's going to happen when this is over? And they said, well, you guys can deal with that. And I had to file an appeal to be, and so now I'm a cat one. Okay, good. But it was like through a process of having to show race experience and results. Um, yeah. Um, I saw somewhere that you said learning the craft of racing was like learning to walk at the age of 38, um, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. I mean, there, the craft of racing is such a great, um, uh, term for it Yeah. because yeah, it's, 
you know, Peloton etiquette. It's learning what language somebody is swearing at you from behind. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's learning. And are they swearing at you just to throw you off kilter sure. or are you actually doing something wrong? Uh-huh. You know? There's, <laughs> there's road furniture everywhere that you don't get traditionally in the States. I yes. mean, I heard your first race was in Belgium. That's not like racing the downtown Little Rock it Crit. not, like, it was not. That is the deep end, the deepest of deep ends. So, and that, I mean, is also in complete compare and contrast to to the cultural differences and rifts mm -hmm. and moving overseas and racing an international schedule and mm -hmm. having international teammates. What the heck is it like to learn to walk at the age of 38? So, so, so hard. Um, yeah. And, and the, I think probably the, well, I don't know. I can't single point out one hardest thing because it was brutal, but I think the thing is, let's continue with that analogy. If you were learning to walk at 38, you're probably working with a PT who's understanding that your mentality is of a child. So when I'm put into a team, it's not that my teammates don't want to help me. It's just that what I learned how to do, they learned how to do so long ago, mm -hmm. they don't even remember the things that I won't know. Mm -hmm. Like they're not thinking to tell me to do things, it's not because they're being jerks and they don't want to help me. It's just that everything's so second nature yeah. that it's like, and the things that they learned growing up through the ranks that I would have learned moving naturally from a cat four up to a cat one to a pro, you're just like expected to know. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, the things you take for granted. And I remember like halfway through the first year, our team manager kind of saying, well, the, your protection shield is gone now. I don't want to hear any more, but I'm new, but this, I'm tired of the excuses. And I just remember thinking, like, kind of just crumbling inside, thinking, like, I understand what he's saying. Like, he doesn't want, I think he meant it from a good place. Like, he didn't want me to keep continuing to think, like, oh, I can't because I'm new. But the reality was, you can't, I couldn't expect myself to ride with the confidence of someone who's been doing it since they were 10. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, it was really hard. And it's in the, you know, I think it's sometimes there's, I mean, I actually don't really care for the saying fake it till you make it, but there is a point. And if you can convince yourself that you belong somewhere, even before you do, mm -hmm. sometimes the confidence comes like it, confidence breeds confidence. So it's like to the reverse of that, if you go into something already feeling timid, and then because of being timid, you have a, you ride more jittery, more sketchy, you get dropped. People don't want to be around you. People don't trust your wheel. You end up off the back. That's not a way to build your confidence. So it's like, it's just, it's hard because instead of being able to say like, okay, I had a little success. Now just focus on that. It's like, mm -hmm. if you just feel like you're constantly just trying to keep from drowning. It's a very it's uncomfortable place to be. Very brutal. Yeah. There was a point in time. When I, I was just, I mean, I multiple times in the first season when I thought, I wonder if I should just tell them I can't do this. Hmm. And then I would get through it and it was always like, okay, I want to do better. But it's just like the nerves and everything leading into it. And then like the feelings of feeling like you were letting people down and the feelings yeah. like, you know, I, I don't, no one... I did get some tough love from the team manager, but but for the most part... Everybody was 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 tolerant and was kind, but it's just like constantly feeling kind of on eggshells. Like 
it just didn't, it was just hard. Mm -hmm. It was just really, really hard. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, you're going to instill a bunch of pressure upon yourself. Yeah. Outside of some tough love. I feel like rarely is it explicit that they're barking orders and, and that you're feeling pressure from your teammates. It is, you know, it's what you're construing in your mind. But yeah, yeah you want to fulfill. You want to prove yourself. You wanna... Yeah. And I'm still trying to prove yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to prove to me. Yeah. And I've found that, I mean, and this is a lot, this is, this is really a lot of my own personal confidence issues, but it's just kind of like, you know, you step, I go, okay, well now I'm racing on American roads, which is infinitely easier than racing on the majority of what you race in Europe. Um, And then it's like, okay, I do a bit better, but it's not like, well, I was in the back end of the world tour, but I'm on the podium in the U S it's so then you're just like, okay, well I'll, I'll try this. And I feel like, I mean, with, with, I, I, I don't, I hate almost to put it this way because I don't want it to sound like I've, I've entered races with high levels of talent but just less women, wider roads, and maybe less talent than the world tour. And I don't have a much better result. Then you start just thinking like, well, how I keep lowering my standards and yeah. I keep, you know, so it's like, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. I think, I think that having just a little bit of confidence motivation is huge. And I think, and I've seen, I mean, in my eyes, I don't know Ella so well, but watching Tanya, when she made the team, I feel like we came into, she had, she had more, she had many more years on the bike and she'd raced, um, what is it? Fixie crits. So I think she <laughs> naturally had a bit more, she was a bit more comfortable, but she was equally nervous and equally uh-huh. inexperienced in the world tour, but being able to use that power and go out and win some sprints and to be able to, um, get integrated with the German track federation and get that experience and be really wrapped in a circle of feeling like we believe in you and we've seen this and this and this, look what it's done. Like mm-hmm. she's just blossomed. Yeah. And that's not but anybody else's fault. It's just that I didn't have that one thing that was like, Oh, Ooh, you might be great at this. Bingo. And I think it's like, if you had, that's what I had that with running to mm-hmm. where my coach was like, I see something in you. Yeah. And then he made me see it too. And then it developed. I consider professional cycling, a professional blue collar sport because you're not mm-hmm. earning the, Tens of millions, hundred million dollar contracts. <laughs> Female a- cycling is is exacerbating that stereotype that you know there's not a ton of money in it. Um, That's an understatement. To, correct. So I'm curious every aspect of the financial side of of your professional cycling career. Like, where you sure. you don't have an agent, you're right. sort of put into the spot, and presumably <laughs> they have to compensate you and. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to answer this. Let me let me just say, if if this was me, if there wasn't other entities involved that I don't want to, I would, before I got that job, I worked for a state government job. So my salary is always public knowledge. So mm-hmm. I don't have any problem talking numbers. I'm going to talk a little bit, um, what's the word, obscurely, just because I know people don't want things said. But yeah, when Kate gave me that call, and she's like, okay, so you're going to go to Mallorca and you're going to, and I do need to tell you that the salary will be, and when she said the number. You're like per month? <laughs> my jaw dropped. Well, she told me per month. Okay. She told me per month. Okay. And, and, and I mean, I, like I said, I was open about this. So before the, when I, I left a job making 62,000 a year, which in Little Rock, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what the 
economics around here are like. But in Little Rock, that's decent. It's mm-hmm. not. I mean, I certainly wasn't rolling in the dough, but I had, I never had to worry about like, should I buy the organic fruit or not because right. I can't afford it. Like it was, it was fine. Um, and not to mention you have benefits for the state job. Right. So not yeah, so, so like, there's no benefits, and I will say that. Um, let me think for a minute. It was going to be less than thirty percent of my. Which is the poverty line. I think the U.S. poverty line is about 16 Yeah. I mean, the, the one benefit $1. of it was I made such little money that I got yeah. so much assistance that my health insurance was only $75 a month, where now <laughs> it's $355 a month. Yeah. So, yeah, so there was that. There was that benefit. Um, and there was, there's no, there's no standard um, generally in the UCI for a minimum for women. Now, Canyon Sram being a German team, the German Federation had a minimum standard. So, they paid me the minimum standard that they had to, and then Zwift supplemented to make it livable because I, you know, I think it would be, and again, I, I honestly have no idea if it's still the same amount, if it's still the same contract. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't a kid moving. I mean, I own a home mm-hmm. that I wasn't willing to sell because this was a one-year contract. So I'm like, I'm not going to sell my home and buy a place overseas and then sure. go through that again next year. Um, so they had to make it so that like when I stayed in Europe, like I I stayed with my cousin for part of the time. And then I stayed part of the time at the U S national house. Like I didn't have, so that I wouldn't have a home expense there. And then the next year Zwift actually procured an apartment where Tanya and I lived together along with another one of our teammates and they still have that apartment. And if I could go back to that apartment, Drona sweet. I I cry about it sometimes. I miss it so much. And that's not an exaggeration. Like I go I mean I I have every intention of getting back, but Girona was magical to me and we had a place right on the rom- La Rambla and nice. it, it, oh, it really it was absolute heaven. Awesome. Um so yeah, so it was that's how it was handled was that they they supplemented it to a point that it still was very much poverty, but it was I wouldn't have been able I couldn't do it for nothing because I had to be able to pay bills on my house mm-hmm. back in Arkansas. And I didn't want to rent it out because that year I was back and forth quite a bit. So it was like I was gone for six weeks and then I'd be home for four. And then I was... Those flights paid for by the team? You? Yeah, by the team. That's mildly generous. Right. And that's the one thing I will say, you know, I mean, again, you still can't say, oh, well, then it's fair because the men are also getting those things and they're getting a decent living. But the expense that I've seen, I knew it was a big expense. Mm -hmm. But this year, traveling myself around just to a handful of races, you really see that you are making essentially a lot more money than your salary. But it's just like, I can't, I can't take my six pairs of Oakley's and pay my mortgage. You know what I mean? Like I can't, so it's not that you don't appreciate it. It's just people are like, oh, but you get this and this. It's like, and I absolutely appreciate that, but I still have to pay bills. So I think if I had been, you know, Ella's 20 years old, I think she lived with her parents beforehand. It's a different, it's a different dynamic for somebody who's 38 years old saying, how do I how do I manage my adult stuff? Mm-hmm. And it's probably it's probably the program is and that you know there was a fin- Mary last year there was a thirty seven year old final so it certainly isn't limited on the women's side the men's side because their partner is a U twenty three team they have to be younger. Okay. I think it it probably it probably is a much easier transition for a younger rider. Guaranteed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just well, for it's, all it's, a whole barrel of reasons. It's. Exactly what you said. The adult things and, yeah. excuse me, I still have to pay my bills. Right. right? If not, you didn't have a mortgage, if you didn't have an electric bill, if you didn't have yeah. 
You know, it's like, I mean, I wouldn't even, if I had no other expenses, even though the salary I was making was very, very small, if all you had to pay for was food, yeah. it's plenty. Mm-hmm. It is goofy, right? It is. Yeah. It, uh, Adulting gets in the way of so many things. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, bills. Damn I know. It. Cell Damn phones. it, reality. Yeah. Expensive little computer in your pocket. Um, so how about, I need to talk about the word community. I we thought, I thought you were about to say gravel. Gra- well, no, this is all related to this paragraph. So we got, we have the community that we talked about before in, in the online forums and the entire Zwift community. Yeah. There is the greater cycling community. And, yeah. And that's what Laura and I wanted to showcase here in, in Vermont is like this cute little hamlet of uh, Richmond. We wanted to show that community to the greater yeah. cycling community. Yeah. And then gravel community, like what we yeah. saw yesterday rooted is just so in my, really I mean, cool. It's, Fun and it's fascinating and it's and it's and it's welcoming and interesting. Like, how do each of those aspects of community fit into your life? How is how is cycling been? Yeah, part of your life. Yeah, that's a great question because the community because it's a very very different atmosphere, even with um, even with a road race in the U.S. I mean, you have your cycling friends. Um, you know, friends off the bike and then competitors when you're out on the field. But when you go to a road race, you I have yet to ever see the end of a road race where everyone in the race is hanging out on a grass field, mm-hmm. eating amazing food, listening to music. And um, people definitely were are competitive in that space. But you really, aside from, okay, you know what kit someone's wearing, you couldn't walk around there and have any idea who either from their, from their attitude or from their appearance or from any way pick out like, well, that's the winner right there. Right. right like there's right, just, right. it's, it's, it, it's kind of like you're competitive while you're on the bike, but once you get off, it's just a party. Um, and I think how, as far as how it fits into my life, I'm in kind of a strange place. Like I loved everything about yesterday particularly when i was when i was done because i'm still in a space where no one really is putting pressure on me but i think i put it on myself i think i still feel like one i want to prove to myself that i ever belonged in a competitive field mm-hmm. and somehow which is i mean almost as ironic as me winning a spot on a world tour team i somehow i'm on a gravel team now and people don't who don't know me and don't know how that came to be and what all they know is like, you know, they maybe see a kit and they happen to know that's the same team as the girl who won Dirty Kanza. And so it's just like, well, she must be really great. So I feel, although no one says a thing, I feel this external expectation and that's sort of hard. Now that almost sounds like I'm saying something negative and it's, it's, I want to be at a place where, you know, there came a point in, in the race yesterday. I was just like, I, I don't, I know that I have probably less gravel experience than 90% of the women out there, if not all. Um, you said it was your sixth? My sixth time riding gravel, my second <laughs> gravel event. Perfect. So, okay. you know, you and I know I know exactly what parts, I mean, where I, I got gapped a bit on the first climb, which is something I thought would have been a strength of mine. But I was just like, okay, this is early, it's fine. I'm not going into the well on the first 10 miles of the course. And then we came to the descent where you were at the top telling everyone to slow down. Yeah. Um, 
And at that point, I thought, I don't know how many more sections there are that are like this, but this is probably just going to be a ride for me. And then we came to the part that I had to get off and walk because it was a mountain bike part. And class that, four. Legit class four. Well, yeah. And, and that is where I said, okay, you know, I kind of had to have a switch. I'm still going to ride this hard when I can ride it hard. Yeah. But my thoughts of being able to catch the lead group unless somebody exploded, and I didn't actually know. In the end, I ended up like the few girls who were in front of me were just by a couple of minutes. Nice. I didn't figure that I ever would have gotten back that close. And once you kind of accept that, it's like it's fine. But I kind of, I love, I'm starting to love riding gravel. I don't, I don't know if racing it is for me. And I need, okay. and that's, I need to I need to kind of make peace with some of that. Because it's like I do well enough that it's like, oh, maybe you should race it. But then there's are certain aspects of it that scare me. Right. But the community is so awesome. And I like that it's like no matter how many times I can be in the middle of the event going, never again, never, ever again. Then you get done with it and it's like, oh, but this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of running in that regard, except that in marathons it was just usually like a physical pain where in gravel it's it's there's things i'm afraid of like a terrified pain yeah how about what's cool about gravel and all the the events that are popping up is each one has a little bit different flavor and yeah. different technicality and different length and different i mean like outside of the class four sections and that gnarly descent the yeah. gravel yesterday is largely Pretty, highway picturesque yeah yeah yeah. The two sections, three sections you point out are Yeah, the majority was very rideable. So, you know, that reminds me a bit of Dirty Kanza in that it's it's largely just wide open and rolling, not a big technical course, whereas BWR has some nice technical sections. Vermont Overland has super technical sections. Yeah. Um, so it could just be a matter of like Well, I think what's what's funny about it, and I guess it's 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 neat about it, but it's kind of this merging of yes. um it's a merging of like the mountain bike world with the road world. And I think it probably lends itself to be a bit more friendly to the mountain bike side mm -hmm. just because of, you know, I still want it to be a road. And so when it is yeah. fast and, and nice gravel, it's all good until for me, like I can't see how steep the, and I don't know if there's a curve at the bottom. Yeah. And I'm just, so it's just, but it's like where if you're a mountain bike person and they're used to skidding around on things, when the, when the, the surface moving beneath you doesn't bother you, yeah. you could screaming fast on, on yesterday's course. Yes. Yeah. If you're a weenie, <laughs> if you're, if you're a roadie, you're just like, but this doesn't handle like a road does uh -huh. and it doesn't, but it's just, and it's always funny to hear the conversations with people who come from a more mountain bike background and they're talking about like the class four section, like, Oh, that section was so rad. I'm like, yeah, that section made me almost quit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not really, but you know, <laughs> you're just like, and then, you know, talk to Andy after the race and he's like, yeah, I was riding over that thinking Leah is going to hate oh, this, <laughs> yeah. nice. but I can laugh about it after. But great, in the moment great. you're just like, what the, and they said this was short. It's a mile long. Uh -huh. It's not short. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's neat. I think it's, um, the atmosphere is definitely super cool. I, I, you know, I've, I've already said this in socials and I'm not saying it just cause it's your event, but it's hard to believe that was the first year. Like it was so, I've, I've been to a lot of events cycling and running. And I mean, competes with all the best organized events I've ever been to. Oh, it's huge. And the food. The food was Please bring back. 
Well, you can only hope to get Justin Walker and his team back from Walker's Maine. Uh, that pokey. That was absurd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last night, literally, we sat here at the at our little rent house, and we had some takeout from. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to talk bad about anyone in town, but we were just like, "This isn't anywhere near as good as the race food." Like, <laughs> do you think we can go back? Do you think we can go back to Richmond and just get another bowl of pokey? Because that was awesome. Another bowl yeah. to go. That was absurd. Yeah, we heard that a lot. That that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's your first year event. Like, yeah. What the heck? And then, then that cake. And I was just like, I, I, I really don't need to cake. have Trace Leches and a creamy and a beer, but they're all here. Uh-huh. And and I, and I have to have them all. It's because you know when you go home, you're not going to have them. You're not going to have them again. It's have, like it's like yeah. Christmas. You know, it takes years before you realize Christmas will come around again next year. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, but I have to have one of every kind mm-hmm. of cookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So... Let's see. I I see your athletic career as a series of successes and then segues. (laughs) So where do you see it? And then thinking of hinging off the last question of, you know, be it time trial or gravel racing or or stage racing or criterium racing. What what do you suppose? Where do you see your your career going? Oh, man. I mean, inevitably, like there's more and more gravel races on the calendar. Well, there is Steamboat coming up, which is oh, going to be right. interesting. I hear that's a big roadie one. Meaning, it's a big roadie one, which kind of it's it's cool on one hand. It's a little bit. It's not actually any more scary for me because I mean, I, when I make these comments, I don't want it to sound like I'm just going in like completely having given up. But I think I'm not intending to get mixed up in the absolute ambush that will be the beginning of that race because there's a lot. Even you know, it comes right on on. I should say Colorado Classic comes right on the heels of Steamboat. So some of these teams have entered either their whole team or certain members of their team. No kidding. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I've heard, I don't know this is true, but I've heard Tibco's whole team is riding it. And then I know Canyon SRAM, two of their riders. I don't know if they're doing the 141, but they're ride, they're racing it. Mm-hmm. And I think you have some riders who, like Tiff Cromwell is a perfect example. Like I know she she's not afraid of anything. She's an amazing bike lane handler, super strong, she wouldn't scare me in that race because she has power and she has the smarts to back it up and she's done mountain bike stuff before. But I think there's some girls who will go in there with the strength and ability on the road and so they'll ride it aggressively as if it were a road and maybe they don't have mm-hmm. the skills to back it up on gravel. And I don't say that as a person who's like, like I have the skills on gravel. <laughs> like, no, if I were to go and ride it to the same, like I don't ride as aggressive on gravel as I would on the road because I'm not comfortable with it yet. Mm-hmm. And I think there will probably be some in there. It, it scares me a little bit yeah. just to think. I, and and then you put a 5K prize purse on it. Right. And a for loop. a women's cycling event, that's big money. Sure. So it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I, I don't intend to be mixed up in it. My plan will be to be safe. And then ultimately there will be some carnage. And it's like, how much can I pick off throughout the race? Yeah. And yeah. I also have decided that you know, there's a turnoff at mile 81. If I'm not having fun, I mean, even like a little bit of type A fun, Mm -hmm. if I'm not having any fun there, I'll ride the 100 and that's okay. Like, I don't think, I think at the stage, at the level that I'm at, I should enjoy it. And I think, you know, 141 miles is a long way. It is. Um, I think that's the spirit of gravel is being there for the right reasons, not saying I need to win the prize purse. I need to mix it up. I need to prove and I think there will be, there. but I think there will be a lot at oh. that race trying to prove themselves, right. and that's where I don't. I'm I'm not disillusioned, mm-hmm. and that's where I say when I describe it as a roadies race, it's mm-hmm. it's 
one, the buffed out gravel. Like yeah. I think they have zero class four sections. That's um, amazing news. And then put, <laughs> put that kind of money in. Yeah. Put that kind of uh, distance in. Yeah. And there will be some, and put teams in, like that's team tactics. That's yeah. that's a rollover of, of traditional road racing yeah. off-road. Yeah, uh, but I think well, I think if I can go one of two ways with gravel, then there will be a lot more gravel for me in the future. I think if I can either just start saying I'm fine not being competitive and just showing up and having fun, or if I can get more comfortable to be competitive. But at this point, it's probably not fair to say because I've only done two races, if you will, but I definitely see myself like gravel being something I'd rather enjoy. I don't, I, ju I just don't, as much as I've thought like I'll never be comfortable in crits, I feel like it'll be easier to be aggressive. But I, yeah. It's like I somehow Having ended up 10th yesterday yeah. and I would never have guessed that. So yeah, I don't, I, I will do, I will do more gravel. I don't know which way it will go. <laughs> the, my non sequitur, uh, <laughs> having retired from traditional road racing, yeah. if I ever stumble upon a crit and watch that, like that is the most terrifying thing yeah. to watch in hindsight and think, I used to do that for fun. Whereas yeah. gravel, that's just playing around in the dirt. That's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, where I would love for my career, I'd, I'd love to have more road race opportunities. Sadly, I live in America, so uh -huh. oh, totally. it's going to be way easier. And it's, you know, I'm not young, so I don't have... If I was ever going to get picked up by a high-level U.S. team, I think it would have happened on the heels of my time with Canyon Storm, and it did not. So we're looking at guest spots and yeah. um, or finding a team. I mean, I think the teams that I could possibly get onto is if I could convince myself and a team that I was going to become a great crit racer because mm -hmm. there's so many teams that's all, that's all they do is crits. There's just not a yeah. lot of road race opportunities. So what I want my future to be is more road racing. What it's going to be is probably a lot like this last year's been. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, but it's a little bit frustrating because you want to get into it. It's like I don't. I, I just I want to get into a couple of races where I can feel like I did a Joe Martin stage race with the Amy D Foundation and had such a great experience. Not because I had one of our teammates ended up sixth in the GC. I had a couple top twenty finishes, which in a road any race for me, uh, something that's didn't you know I've, I've won a few races that started with seven women. I mean that's mm -hmm. different, <laughs> but to actually win in a real that kind of yeah. made me hungry for more. And then it's like all season I was looking for another opportunity like that. And what I found instead was either crits, gravel, or cascades, which was. It, the Cascades was still great, but I just, it wasn't, you know, there was a few things there that weren't definitely in my wheelhouse of the little gravel sections on the road bike. <laughs> yeah, which we need to throw it into our non-informed listener. Cascade is a great race, stage race, long-standing yeah. Oregon traditional road race. Yeah. And then they've thrown gravel into the mix. like to Just a few, the, I mean, very small sections. It was, but sure. it, But it did make it, I think it was the decisive factor in both stages yeah. who had it. And that's, they certainly didn't have that ten years ago. I yeah, mean, that, that is that is speaking to the state of gravel. Yeah, as is everything we've said in the past ten minutes. Just and I've heard that Colorado Classic also has gravel in the first stage. Sweet. There yeah. was that. There was the the year that Vuelta España started with a team time trial on dirt bike paths. Oh my! That sounded terrible, but that was the <laughs> arms race of Grand Tours trying to one up each other. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a stunning day. It is. It is your penultimate day. It is your last it full is. day here, so I don't want to take all of your time. Oh, well, so, no worries. We're going to wrap up with three very hard-hitting questions. Okay. I'm curious about your perspective because of your relatively late entry into the sport. Sure. One, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Two, 
What is the number one place you would like to ride a bike? They've never ridden. And three, living or otherwise, with whom is your favorite person you'd like to ride a bike with? Oh, oh, wow. That started off easy and got progressively harder. Favorite place to ride a bike is Girona. Hands down. Hands down. Favorite loop? San Hillary. Great answer. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good ones. Uh I know this was supposed to be like really quick answers and this is pretty quick, but... What's so amazing about Girona and the living in Little Rock, if I have a five hour ride, it's like, (sighs) (laughs) what loops am I going to tie together to make five hours? And none of them are going to be glamorous. None of them have great places to stop for water and or coffee or pastry. And none of them are that scenic. Mm -hmm. We are pretty spoiled in that there's not, you can get away from traffic fairly easily. But in Girona, it's like, Oh, I only have two and a half hours, yeah. but all my favorite loops are at least three. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so fabulous, but yeah, I would have to say St. Hillary. It's just, I love that long gradual climb. The descent is pretty fun and not super technical. If you want to stop for coffee at the top is great. It's yeah. Everything about that ride. It's just, I love it. Um, okay. The second one was where would I like to ride that I haven't? Hmm. I've ridden a lot of places. I'm trying. That's what I think is cool. I've heard that. I've actually heard that Columbia is Mm. is really great. Great answer. Never been. Yeah. Also my bucket list. Yeah. I hear that the cycling culture there is second to none. I mean, if you had asked me before two days ago, I would have said Vermont for sure. Nice. Welcome to the party. (laughs) Vermont is pretty great. Uh I rode up to um, Smuggler's Notch the first day and there it was. Um, there was one point that, and I've got a fifty thirty four and an eleven thirty four. But literally, I was like, I am. If you just, I, I'm popping a wheelie right now. Yeah. It's there's just two that switchbacks that are that are well north of twenty five percent. Like <sighs> it's nuts. Like we're able to it, even pave that. Well, what was in in. If I'd been able to paperboy it, it would have been totally fine. What was scary was there was cars coming up behind me. So it was like there was no way but a direct straight line. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, God, just just, just make it. Just uh-huh. make it. Uh-huh. But I made it. And it was it was pretty awesome. Um, but, yeah, I would, I, would, I would say Columbia is something that's probably that's on the bucket list. I'm sure I could think of a lot more. But I've ridden some pretty rad places. Favorite descent in the world? That's a question to me. Yeah. Um, there is, it's called something grade, uh, in, into park city. That is my fastest oh. recorded speed. I think it's partially the thin air and then just the straight shot road. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. Um, and I went 72 miles an oh. hour there in the race, uh, the end of tour of Utah. So you weren't like, so you had company. Yeah. I had company. I had that's confidence. That's scariest to me at that pace. Yeah. It's, there's nothing to it. Like you, you can do it with your eyes closed. You just go straight. Yeah. And I'm, I'm comfortable in that, that yeah. kind of company. Uh, but then man, otherwise, while I ponder mine, what's your answer? Favorite descent? Stelvio. Oh, Montebene. I mean, yeah. Ideally, Stelvio with no cars on it. But for somebody like me who's not like the master of hairpins, you can see the whole way down. I think that's the part that I realize when I don't know what's around the corner. It's not that I don't think I know how to handle a bike. It's just like if I choose a bad line or if if I slip mm-hmm. and the option is either off of a cliff or into a vehicle, not willing to go. But you can see the whole way down yeah. and it's almost like it's ramped. Oh, that was such a fun descent. Well said. Uh, that was one thing that I... I immediately knew that I was going to miss once I retired from pro bike racing is the the motorcade. I mean, having a police escort, two-lane yeah. traffic, you lose that suspension of disbelief that you're going to go blazing around a corner and there won't be a person. There won't be a yeah. car. Won't be a, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what was the third question? The I forgot. The person. Oh, who I would ride with? Fictitious. Oh man. Real, deceased. That's so hard, and I feel like I like the spring moment. You could say Bob Ross. <laughs> That would make a peaceful bike ride. That would be that oh. would be amazing. You know what I will throw out there just because today I was in Sweet Simone's, my local coffee shop in yeah. uh, in Richmond, wonderful spot. It's right by Hatchet. Yeah, right next door, great spot. And our cute little little town of Richmond, there right next to me was Mike Myers of Austin Powers. Fans. I was just gonna say, are you talking about cyclists? Because the Mike Myers I know, he's here. He was. Do you he think he's here? still there? Uh, <laughs> as soon as I. Went outside to see where he'd gone. He was already gone. But wow. yes, the Does he original... live around here? Or no, something? no. I was sort of trying to say how cool our town is with, with such celebrities, but no, that was yeah, the first time occurrence. That's so funny. Isn't it weird how we kind of freak out over people like that too? Like one time I was in LA airport and I saw David Spade. Uh-huh. And I was like, I had a moment. I mean, I didn't go do like the, I was just like, be cool. Uh-huh. But I was like, well, of course he's in an airport. He's a human. He flies <laughs> too. You know, but it's yeah, just like you yeah. see someone and it's like, oh. <gasps> That's a person who I've seen <laughs> yeah, on television. Yeah, a person I've seen places. Oh, yeah. I'm like awkwardly sort of whispering to my friend. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Mike Myers. And Mike's wife, I later learned, was right next to me. Sort of, I'm sure she sees that 15 times an hour. Yeah. Like, yeah. all right. It's my husband. He's kind of a... <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm okay. so bad at these questions. And I always... I mean, I know you should say you should just go off the cuff. So I should just go with like the first thing that came to mind, but this is before you started to say dead or alive. Or fictitious. You can say Mike Meyer. You can say Austin Powers. Fat bastard. You're not making the question easier. Gold member. Oh, um, you're not making it easier. Um, who's someone I've always wanted to meet and hear their stories? God, I don't know. How long do I have to think of this? Six minutes. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go into Six a slight minutes. pause. <laughs> I'm so terrible at this because that's almost like one of those things you feel like you can't take back and then it's immortalized in a podcast. Like, of all the people, you said that person? That's tough. It is. Um, Ernest Hemingway. No, Say profound. I, it wouldn't be him. Say a few more. Obama. And I'll, I'll, um, I feel like I don't, I would like to have dinner with Obama, but I feel like he'd be kind of boring on a bike. Yeah. Yeah. He'd probably have a big motorcade of... Secret Service. Um, okay, now I need to be creative to tell some. How about uh, Mark Twain or uh, Bill Walton, famous basketball player, or Reggie Miller, who's a basketball player turned commentator turned mountain biker? I'd like to chat with Reggie someday. Reggie, if you're listening, please give me a call. Um, <laughs> we get a lot of, well, my favorite person is my spouse. So I love riding with Laura. That's a good one. Well, I do love riding with Andy, but I can ride with him anytime I want to. Yeah. So I'm not going to choose that if this is like a one and done type of deal. Um, about, you know, I think Daniel Oss would be pretty entertaining. Oh, man. I was teammates with him. He is amazing. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. He is awesome. I mean, I feel like when you're giving me the dead or alive, I should, I almost feel obligated to like choose like some famous person who's dead. Yeah. But Daniel Oss, I'll, I'll, I'll go with him. I think maybe, I'll, maybe this can actually happen. Daniel, Daniel. are you listening? <laughs> this could I, happen. I know multiple women who uh, also have crushes on you. So, you know, it's good. <laughs> is, he, is he married? I don't even know. No. Yeah. And last I knew he had a girlfriend, but yeah. that was years ago. Yeah. Um, good answer. Most people seem to give 
living answers. So that was a good one. Okay. Um, Do you want me to also pick a dead? No, then? no, okay. no. You're no. like, no, we don't have time for that. <laughs> Let me chapter three. We, yeah, there's something grim about saying, who's your That's favorite person you ride with who's true. dead or also alive? That's true. That's true. Well, awesome. Yeah. Um, do you want to answer down. that question for me? Now oh. that, it, who would you ride with? You so can't you're say Daniel Ah, <laughs> uh, sheesh. And I can't say Laura. Laura, you're my number one, but let's go. Yeah, Laura knows she's your number one. But if it has I to like, be someone other than Laura. I used to always say my brother because he got me into the sport. And then we, we had such life tracks that we couldn't, even though, yeah, we basically couldn't find time ever to go for a bike ride together. Yeah. So it's cool that we can do that. Yeah. On occasion. Yeah. And um, I remember I tried to be cheeky once and I said Hugh Hefner, but I don't think I'd really That would be it. interesting. Although I feel like kind of like Obama, I feel like he'd be boring on a bike. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't think he would be able to enjoy the bike ride. Bob Ross wouldn't be a bad one. Bob Ross would be great. He'd, he'd be, be talking like, about the, the trees. All the trees. The mountains. Bob Ross in Vermont would be one heck of a ride. Apparently, <laughs> of all of his paintings, there's a lot of Bob Ross trivia on the internet. Of all of his paintings he ever did, I think one had a cabin, even though everything is like this beautiful vista. Yeah. Did any ever one had a not have a tree? A lot of trees. A lot of trees, a lot of mountains. <laughs> and on that note. And on that note, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for making the trip. This is not just an hour of your time, but a whole gosh darn weekend. So Yeah, it's been a fabulous weekend. Awesome. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Wicked. Do Rue Vermont next year. Come on back. All right. Cool. Thank you, Leah. <laughs>